battles ring in surrender, the Dragon Queen breaks. King's Landing is no more. As the final week of Game of Thrones approaches, Movie Relics takes a moment to look at these beasts of legend, dragons. How do these stack up to other dragon movies? And this week, a new segment, an editorial discussing the big movie issues. So hold on to your dragons, because here we go. Welcome to episode 6 of Movie Relics Podcast. I am your host, Luke David, and this week, with only one episode left of Game of Thrones, we are talking all things dragons. Game of Thrones dragons, how do they compare to other dragon movies? And I'm giving you my top 10 dragon-related movies. In addition, you heard in the intro, we're having a new segment where I test out a few things and talk about how movies are impacting us today. Something to try about and I would appreciate any comments you have about whether that is something you want to see more of. So without further ado, let's start talking about the Game of Thrones dragons. was the sound of Daenerys's biggest dragon, Drogon, torching the Lannister army in Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones sees three legendary dragons to be hatched to Queen Daenerys. We have Drogon, the biggest, and then the two smaller dragons, Rhaegal and Viserion. Now these dragons were named after Daenerys's two older brothers and her husband, Khal Drogo. With one episode left, we see Drogon as the single surviving dragon. Rhaegal fell to the Night King's spear, only to be animated as part of the Army of the Dead. It seems that that was always his destiny, because without him, the Great White Wall would never have been destroyed. Next, we have Viserion, the dragon that Jon Snow rode. Or rode. Viserion was injured by the undead Rhaegal dragon, and then killed by the Greyjoy army and the Scorpion crossbows mounted on their ships. A very disappointing death, considering how high up these dragons were flying at the time. Surely they could have seen those boats. In Game of Thrones, dragons are immune to fire, arrows, and able to survive multiple injuries. They grow fast and are loyal to members of their house. At birth, they are about the size of a cat, but grow rapidly, reaching the size of a small dog in about one year. At around year three or four, we're reaching small pony size. Dragons can live for centuries in Game of Thrones and never stop growing. However, if dragons are chained or confined, like for instance Rhaegal and Viserion, their growth is hindered and affects their overall size. When a dragon reaches adolescence in Game of Thrones, they tend to be rebellious for a degree, 
even snarling at their imprinted parent. However, as they mature, this trait disappears. Game of Thrones dragons must be trained and kept well fed, but are never truly tamed. Game of Thrones has certainly captured the essence of the dragon, and shown us things we haven't seen in previous movies. Let's keep our fingers crossed that Drogon, the remaining dragon, survives the uh, upcoming battle and the last episode. Now you've heard all about Game of Thrones dragons. Let's talk about other dragons in movie history and go through my top 10 movies. So starting at number 10, my number 10 movie is Aragon with the dragon Sephira. Wasn't a very strong movie, but that dragon is a different interpretation and so it gets number 10 on my list. Number 9 is Beowulf with the dragon Golden Man. We see the dragon in that film as Beowulf's offspring and causes havoc to his kingdom. At number eight, we have the movie Shrek with the great red dragon. This dragon has a really good moment when Shrek first uh, frees Fiona from the castle, and that's why it's on my list. Number seven is from Disney's Mulan, Mushu, the Chinese dragon. Of course, you've got to have a dragon with Eddie Murphy's wit and humour in it on my list. At number six, we have Toothless from the How to Train a Dragon series. Possibly one of the best children's animated films. It doesn't have too many scary moments. Kids of any age can really watch that and get something out of it. So now, let's go to the top five. Can you guess the first one? Now shall you deal with me, O oh Prince, and all the powers of hell! <laughs> yes, that's it. Rounding out my top five is possibly the first dragon most kids of my generation saw. Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, from Disney's Sleeping Beauty. Um, the foreshadowing of evil captured in, in, ma- in amazing visuals and the orchestra in the background just building up the cement, the, the suspense. It just cemented dragons as something terrifying and evil for all kids. And as a child, I remember being quite fearful of that moment. So that takes my number five spot. And now number four. The Hungarian horn tail. These represent four very real dragons, each of which has been given a golden egg to protect. Your objective is simple. Collect the egg. That was Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and my top four position. Harry Potter <laughs> Harry Potter. Harry Potter movie series showcased many types of dragons. Uh, The most memorable is this scene you've just heard with the Hungarian horntail. Harry must get past the beast and grab the egg to win the challenge. The detail in this dragon makes it just so menacing and worthy of my top four position. Now let's see top three.
Did you guess it? Yes, number three on my list is Smog from The Hobbit. The Hobbit features the best of the speaking dragons, with Benedict Cumberbatch lending his voice to the commanding dragon. Smog teases, taunts, terrifies Bilbo before decimating the lake town. Any dragon that survives being covered in molten gold by dwarves deserves number three on my list. On to number two. I will not stop until I've rid the world of every last one of you. I am the last one! Yes, is there nothing Sean Connery cannot do? If he wasn't being the voiceover for a dragon, he was piloting a Russian submarine in the hunt for Red October. That was a terrible accent. Anyway, yes, that movie in top two of my list is Dragonheart. Dragonheart tells the story of the last dragon fighting for survival among dragon slayers. In this adaptation, we see our dragon Draco can talk and is much more noble and more human than any of the other dragons to pass. Uh, It matches really well and and compares with our knight character played by... uh, Look, I can't think of it at the moment. Put it in the comments if you know. I feel like Dennis something. I don't know. We'll work it out. But the, the best thing about this film is it has that heart. It has that King Arthur. It has that kind of nobility and virtue to it and good action scenes, which sits this at number two. Now, for our final number one position. You ever seen one of these? How many men I have? Got out the first one I killed. The plane was better. So now you're a dragon killer. It's not even original. Who's in the wheat fields just south of Coffeeville, Kansas? late November. It's a month of mist. And we were caught in the open. The sun was setting behind us. There's nowhere to run. Twice it came in on us and twice it missed the heart of us. And that's when I had an epiphany. You see, they have great vision in the day. Yes, that rounds up our top 10, with number one being the movie Reign of Fire. Reign of Fire features Matthew McConaughey and that actor who plays Batman that I can't think of at the moment, Christian Bale. (laughs) Um, Now, Reign of Fire, um, it, it gets my number one spot because it attempts to ground dragons into the real world. It sets them up as a natural disaster. Um, Now, this movie is set in England. It begins in London, uh, where dragons awake after an extended hibernation. Uh, Now, these dragons are, like I said, depicted as a a natural force of nature. Uh, They burn the world to feed on the ash that it creates. Uh, Once the food runs out, the beasts return to their hibernation. Uh, It's my number one pick because of the fear they create in the various characters, and the amazing thing about how it's connected dragons to the real world. In my opinion, I think it would probably be the the best version of real-life dragons 
where Game of Thrones, well, it would be the best of the fantasy TV show Dragons, if you could separate them in that way. But jump on our Instagram and let me know what what do you think of my top 10 and how do they compare to yours? Do you think Game of Thrones Dragons sit so high? Game of Thrones has been one of the biggest TV shows of our generation, with spoilers on the rise in both social media, YouTube and other forms of internet. This week, let's take a look at spoilers in TV and movie history. Let's go through it frame by frame. People spend enormous amounts of time devoting themselves to completely made-up stories. Almost all popular movies, popular books, television shows, they're just made up. I become curious about what it is about fictional narratives, you know, what attracts people. So one aspect about fiction that lots of people speculated about it is this resolution of suspense, that what you want is to not know the outcome, and you read the story to find the outcome. And that's why people are very concerned about spoilers. You know, a huge majority of people think spoilers spoil things, and you just don't, in the end, have the data from your own life to answer that question. That is, you never see a movie twice for the first time, once spoiled and once not spoiled. And it essentially takes someone stepping back and constructing the proper experiment to discover what it is that people actually like. So what we're curious about is, does giving away the ending ruin the experience? We brought undergraduates into the lab and we gave them short stories from various genres. And for some, we didn't spoil them. We simply said, here's a story, read it, and at the end, you'll tell us how much you liked it. And for others, we spoil it. We spoil it as if inadvertently. We don't want to say, here's a spoiler, because that already suggests that we've spoiled something. So we had them read just a tiny paragraph about the story that it accidentally gave away, you know. In this, the classic story in which the woman murders her husband with a frozen leg of lamb. And so you read it, you don't even realize quite that it's spoiled. But then, as you read the story, of course, you know exactly what the ending is. And what we found remarkably was if you spoil stories, they actually enjoy them more. Spoilers actually were enhancers. And you know, lots of people, when this finding came out, expressed skepticism, even sometimes hostile skepticism, about it telling us why we were wrong in all sorts of ways. No. But really, if you think no. about it, people when they go to see Romeo and Juliet don't think, don't tell me how it ends. As almost everyone going to see Romeo and Juliet knows that Romeo will die and Juliet will die as a tragedy. In fact, the prologue to the play largely tells you this. And also, as I point out to skeptics, people watch these movies more than once happily and often with increasing pleasure. So even a movie like The Usual Suspects, where you think, that one movie will be ruined if you know the ending. And I ask people, so the second time you watched it, did you like it? Oh, I loved it the second time, right? Every time I watch it, I, I like it more. You think like, but, but you know exactly what the ending is. The, point is, really, we're not watching these things for the ending. If that were the point, you could save yourself a lot of time, right? You would just say, like, oh, you know, it was the butler. You're like, wow, <laughs> thanks, right? I don't have to read the novel. Really, you read fiction for the beauty of the prose and the cleverness of the construction and, and insights into human nature. And maybe even knowing the ending is useful because it allows you to focus on these other parts. The same way if you're, you know, driving up Highway 1 through Big Sur, if you know the road really well, you can now peek around and, and admire the view and the otters frolicking in the surf. Whereas if you don't know what the road is, you have to be focusing on that sort of mundane detail. The argument isn't that stories shouldn't have plots. And in fact, we tried 
a version where we put the spoiler into the story. So we actually modified these stories. So a little bit of hubris going and fixing what John Updike wrote. And it turns out we didn't make them better. So if, if you write a first paragraph as if it's part of the story that gives away the plot, people don't like the story more. That what they really want is to have the story complete, but then this extra knowledge about it. And there's lots of evidence that this fluent processing of information is pleasurable. That is, some familiarity with a work of art enables you to enjoy it more. That research comes from the University of California, released in 2016. So let's talk about spoilers. Game of Thrones is possibly the biggest spoiler-filled TV series of all time. As each episode airs, true fans try to be cautious about their posts of excitement on social media. People check in with others in earshot before diving into an episode discussion around the water cooler. In an act of prevention, people switch off the net and social media to prevent show spoilers. In a society where our pop culture totems have become so deeply intertwined with our sense of ourselves as individuals, we can start to understand the importance or need to go into the cinema spoiler-free. Spoiling stuff is indulging a fundamental impulse and the need to feel special. It becomes dysfunctional when our drive to feel special undermines others' enjoyment. Most people spoil out of excitement, a craving to share feelings with others or thoughtlessness rather than vindictive reasons. We're trying to find that rare balance between finding out just enough about our movie or TV show but not enough to spoil it. Take Marvel's promoting or marketing of Avengers Endgame. They spent more on an anti-spoiler campaign. Let's hear it. Don't spoil the Endgame. Don't do it. Don't spoil the Endgame. I'm watching you. Don't spoil the Endgame. I'm watching you. Seriously. Don't spoil the Endgame. This campaign, it unifies the fans as a common goal and motivates viewers to see it as soon as possible to avoid potential spoiling. When they let us know that spoilers are present, true fans don't want that ruined. I saw it opening day at midday. I went online that night and an ad appeared in my Instagram spoiling an awesome moment. Thank goodness I saw it that day. Two weeks later, when the embargo was over, Spider-Man Far From Home trailer dropped. Again, with a spoiler, warning, grabbing those last few fans and telling them, go see it, now. The Spider-Man Far From Home trailer is about to play, but if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame yet, stop watching, because there's some serious spoilers about to come up. But if you have seen Avengers Endgame, enjoy the trailer. Spoilers are here to stay, that's certain. As a movie twist, a marketing campaign, and a motivator to get bums in seats. As we approach the end of the amazing TV show Game of Thrones, keep the words of director James Gunn in your mind. And I quote, If a movie can be ruined by spoilers, it's not a good movie. I'm opposed to spoiling things for folks, but studies show knowing spoilers only very slightly affects the viewer's pleasure, if at all and sometimes increases the pleasure of a well-crafted film. At the end of the day, 
Good Movies Matter More. And that's this week's Frame by Frame. That's it for episode 6 of Movie Relics for this week. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you've enjoyed the content that I've put out there. Uh, This has just been a hobby for me and with each episode I'm learning more about podcasting and how to improve it and with each week I get to learn new skills about how to use my equipment, how to edit and how to um, mix different content together. Uh, I'm trying a lot of different things to find what's going to be the right fit for my channel and I do really value every comment and every email that I get sent through the social media because it's helping me to really form what my podcast is going to be um, to be centered around and what content it's going to be talking about. Um, next week, we have Miranda back with me in the studio and we're talking all things Aladdin and then the week after that, an extra special guest talking about the movie Godzilla. If you would like to be one of our guests and you feel like you've got something to contribute and say about movies, throw us a line on our social media. Have a good week and get to the movie.